The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Father, thank you. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, children. If you'll meet your children's church leaders at the back. Thank you. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes near the center of your Bible. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. We only have uh, just two more chapters, so a couple of, a couple of weeks left. And uh, not wonderful music today. Praise God for good music. This makes my heart want to worship the Lord more and more. And uh, man, I was kind of choking up down here on the pew right at the last. I was thinking about um, then in a nobler, sweeter song. We'll sing Thy power to say. And it would make you think about some of our brothers and sisters that have gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, their poor stammering, lisping tongues in this life uh, sang of the power and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to save. But we have many brothers and sisters that have gone on before us. And uh, I wonder sometimes maybe on Sundays when we worship or any time of the week where God's church is worshiping around the world, if uh, some of the saints that have gone on before in heaven if they're not singing in a sweeter and a nobler song of the mighty power of Jesus to save. Amen? Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. Uh, so what we want to do today is just kind of uh, walk ourselves through this chapter. I'll read all, all the verses, but I'm going to kind of read them in sections together. And so uh, let me read verse 1, 2, and 3, but uh, you want to hi- highlight verse number 2. It's kind of the uh, catch-all for the message today. And so it says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Right? So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. And isn't that the truth? You can be living good and doing right, but you know, just a, just a being, uh, let me say, being a goober, right, or living foolishly can really just mess up the whole thing. It's a fly in the ointment, right? And verse number two, watch here. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. I'll come back to that in a second. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sins is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Now, I'll tell you, uh, that in verse number three, I had to work through that this week because I, I was wondering if maybe that spoke to my sense of being directionally challenged. Some of you know that I, I have to use my GPS just to get around the city of Raleigh and sometimes to even find my way home. But I don't think that's what the text is saying. Even if you're directly directionally challenged, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a fool according to the Scripture. But I want you to go back to verse number 2 for a moment and see that this verse kind of just ties the rest of the sections together today that we'll look at. In verse number 2, a wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. So if you're taking notes today, maybe you, you might want to phrase it some way like this, that wise thinking leads to right living. Wise thinking leads to right living. And foolish thinking leads to bad living. Foolish thinking leads to bad living. Now some of your translations might say like mine that the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. In fact, did you know that the English word when we get the word sinister comes from the Latin to mean on the left hand? And that bothers me. I don't know why left-handed people get a bad rap in life. I mean, I'm left-handed, 
this past week, I was at dinner when Connie and I were with some friends, and I told her when I left, I said, all my life I've had to learn how to eat like this. Can I get an amen from a left-hander in here? Right? You know, all you bunch of right-handed people, you just sprawl all out as if nobody in the world is any different than you. You use all that elbow room, you take it all up, and there's nothing left for the left-hander. And so, I mean, it's... Come on now. This isn't exactly what this text is talking about. I'm not exactly sure what the etymology of that word is or why left-handers are thought to be bad. In fact, I'll tell you this morning, don't Google it now, all right? But there is a story about a good left-handed guy in the Bible, and he stabs this big guy so hard that the knife gets stuck, and he wins the day. So you can look that up somewhere in the Bible at another time. This isn't saying that being left-handed is bad. It just simply is an illustration or a metaphor to say that uh, wrong living, bad living. And so today we want to kind of break this text apart, what's left of it, in about four different areas. And we want to say, listen, we need to learn how to think wisely so that we end up living the right kind of life. And we don't want to learn to think foolishly so that we don't end up living the bad kind of life. And then we want to tie all of that together to understand that we are not just speaking of some sort of deistic, moralistic kind of life. Be better, do better, don't do wrong, do right. But we want to tie all of that into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and find out that Jesus died to save us from our sins, to enable us, to give us the power and the grace and the mercy to live this kind of life filled with the goodness and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's the first one. The next set of Scriptures, verse 4 down through verse number 7, simply deal with wise living or foolish or wise thinking or foolish thinking when it comes to leadership. When it comes to leadership. Look at verse 4 through 7. So if the rulers, you see there's the leader, right? right? If the ruler's temper or if his soul rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Right? And then verse number 5, There is an evil I have seen under the sun like an error uh, which goes forth from the ruler. And what's that ruler's folly? His folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in the humble places. And so from verse five, 4, 5, 6, and 7, here's what I want to say. That we want to be wise leaders. And so if you're in here this morning and maybe you're a mom or a dad, you need to learn lessons here on how to think wisely as a leader. If you're in here and maybe you're a boss and you have people at your work that are looking to you or maybe you are a manager of some sorts or maybe just your friends are looking to you or maybe you're a Sunday school teacher you work with children here or you're a deacon or a thousand and one other opportunities to apply this. In some sense, all of us in one capacity or another have a leadership component to our life. People are looking to you. And here's the two points. The ruler or the leader makes two negative problems here. And so we're going to look at the negative problems and learn from it. And then we'll reverse that and say, well, what is the positive that comes out of that? From verse number four and from verse number six, here's the problem that it, here's foolish thinking. Number one, the guy's got a bad temper. The guy gets frustrated easy. 
The guy flies off the handle and gets mad and doesn't give people the benefit of the doubt. And he's quick just to get red in the face and steam coming out the ears. And this is the kind of person that snaps and, and speaks harshly to their, to their friends or to their spouse or their co-workers or to those that work under them. You see what he says here? That he's got a temper. And in fact, it tells you the way to deal with your boss's temper. It's not to fly back off the handle, but it is simply to stay put, to be kind, and a soft answer turns away wrath. Yes. But I want to put in our laps today, I want to say, if you are a leader in any way or shape or form in your life, don't have a temper. Don't get angry. Don't be so quick to get frustrated. Listen to people. Listen to what God is saying. Listen to the other person. And don't fly off the handle with people. I've known people in my life where they would get angry and get angry and get angry and get angry and get angry. And you know what they would do? After the situation was over, after the argument was over, after they had obliterated the circumstances and hurt the people around them, they would come back and say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I know I did wrong. I shouldn't have lost my temper. But you know what they would do? They didn't learn the lesson and they would go back and do it again and again and again. And do you know... Even though Jesus said you ought to forgive 70 times 7, basically He was saying not 449 times, Jesus was just saying, forgive infinitely, keep forgiving. But I'm going to tell you something, I'm human, aren't you? And if you're the kind of person that has a sorry, no good, anger spew lying down your back, you need to work on that today. Because you're going to hurt people. You're going to push them away. And do they have the responsibility to forgive? yes. Do they have the responsibility to, to, to give kindness and grace and mercy? Yes. But I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, if you have a leadership component to your life, don't be foolish and get angry all the time. And that goes in multiple areas. With your friends, with your neighbors, with your co-workers. Hey, can I say this? With the people here at our church. You know, my mom lives down in Salisbury and she'll call me, I told you, she'll call me from time to time and she'll say, honey, is everything okay in the church? Yeah, mom. Well, I heard you preaching on unity again. Yeah. Mom, it's, it, it, it's a, it's ahead of the curb. <laughs> See, it's, it's preemptive medicine. And, uh, I mean, at least once a month, it doesn't matter if the sermon's on chicken noodle soup, we're gonna preach on unity. You know why? Because we're all fallen creatures and we get angry and we have tempers. But that ought to listen, when outside people come into these walls, they don't need to see fake people, but they need to see real people who are willing to love and be kind and be gracious and forgive and be slow to get angry. Yeah? The little kids running running between you? Do they do they need to not run? Sure. Do you need to not fume up at them? Yes. Leadership says be careful about being angry. What's the second thing he does in verse 5 and 6? You know what this goofball does? He surrounds himself with yes men. Right? He takes all the wise people and he makes them go down here and do junk work and he takes all the dumb people and puts them around him. You know why? Because he's an egotistical maniac. He's always got to be right. It's always got to be his way. Filled with pride. And that's the second point. As in leadership, foolish thinking is not only thinking that has a temper to it, but it's thinking that is geared around pride in our lives. And I want to say, if you are a leader in any way in your life, you cannot be a person of pride. 
Don't get angry. Don't be prideful. You know what the inverse of that is? What's the positive side? Be patient and be humble. I've read tons and tons and tons of leadership books. There are not a lot of leadership books in this world that tell you that the keys to success are patience and humility. But then again, God's ways are higher than our ways, aren't they? And there are an awful lot of foolish people in this world who push people aside, use their anger to manipulate and to get what they want. They're filled with pride. It's always got to be their way. They're always on top of that. And they're foolish. You want to be a wise leader? You want to be a godly leader? Have patience. And be humble. Let me give you a second point. Look at verse number 8 down through verse number 11. These points here are kind of like staccato. So I, I would say if the first section there, verse 4-7, through seven, deals with wisdom and foolishness concerning leadership, these verses deal with wisdom and foolishness concerning the everyday average worker, your average Joe, everyday person. Look at the kind of the staccato, the quick notes of these verses. I'll read them and then come back. Verse 8, He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through the wall. He who quarrels stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. In verse number 10, if the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Can I just back up for a moment? Maybe give you three points here for uh, for workers. Just everyday, average Christian people. You're going into your workaday life. You're going into your family. You're going into your activities. You're even going into your recreation. Here's what this is getting at. Look, verse number 8. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through the wall. Can I just say this? Pay attention to what you're doing in life. Wise people pay attention. Foolish people Rush in like fools, right? Pay attention to the job that you're doing. Read the instruction manual. Can I get an amen from all the women in here today? Right? Read the instruction manual or your child will fall off the swing and break his arm. Pay attention to what you're doing. Don't just rush in there. You know what it's saying there? Look, it's saying, look, there might be a, there might be a fence around this pit, or you might need to read the, you might need to read the instructions and see what's going on there before you rush in to do something. And there, you know, I was thinking there about cutting the hedges. You know, if you have like a big hedge line and you go out, don't just walk out there with the hedge trimmer. I mean, what if there's a snake in there? Wouldn't it be worth at least looking? Now listen, why don't you just work that down this week into your life? Why don't you massage that into your own life? There's so many A-type personalities in this church. And yours, yours truly included. Amen? Don't say amen then. My wife and I, we had a talk one time. We were playing around. And, and, and we, we, you know, opposites attract. She so thinks through everything. Makes such good decisions. But it takes time. She would rather take her time and make one good decision. I'd rather make 50 mediocre decisions quickly. Now, lest you guys crucify me, I know about half my congregation knows that's the way you are too. It might be best. Yes, it's being recorded. I think my wife's way might be best on that. Just be wise. Think through things. 
Pay attention to what's around you. Look at verse number 9. He who quarrels stones may uh, may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may in, uh, be endangered by them. I would say not only pay attention to what you're doing in life, but be careful. Be careful the things that you do in life. Don't take your life so flippantly. Look, I'm not against bungee jumping or jumping out of airplanes, perfectly good ones. I don't know why anybody would do that. I'm not against some of the, some of that kind of adrenaline junkie kind of stuff. I just want to simply say, why don't you think through that and be careful and make sure you've checked the parachute twice, right? It's worth doing. How many young people have rushed into something and not been careful and everybody else is doing and everybody else is doing and I'm going to do it and they all lived and they sowed their wild oats and they all made it out and they tell those stories around the fireplace but there's a thousand that haven't made it out and they died in their youth. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful where you go. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you say. You might not make it to old age to tell those stories. And if you do, you might find that those people that tell all those stories and they laugh there around the table one evening, that they also have a path of destruction that they left in their wake. And if you got them alone, they would tell you, if I could live life again, I wouldn't be so foolish. Be careful. I remember uh, when I was doing uh, construction work in Florida before I went off to uh, Bible college, uh, we would use these um, out on the work site. Uh, we'd dig these footers, and uh, when you come to the end of a corner, uh, you take an eight-pound sledgehammer and drive stakes into the ground. And uh, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever driven stakes into the ground with an eight-pound sledgehammer in the middle of a summer in Florida, but it's... Pretty tough work. And you know what happens? Inevitably, some guy on the job, you start hitting and you've got to concentrate. You're talking about hitting the top of a stake, maybe the size of a half dollar with an eight-pound sledgehammer again and again and again. And you get tired. You get a little weary. You don't have a lot of Gatorade in. You're sweating it out. You, your stance gets a little off. You want it to go a little quicker. And you start hitting and hitting and hitting, and when you're not careful, you'll slip and hit your shin with an eight-pound sledgehammer. And can I tell you, there is very little pain in the world like that. And there's some believers in this room right now. And you've been walking down the Christian life, and you've been trying to hit that half-dollar note of living right and doing right, but life's been beating you up a little bit and you're a little tired. You've gotten a little weak and you've gotten away from the Scripture a little bit. You've gotten away from a prayer life a little bit. You're not as faithful to your church and to your Sunday school and to your small group as you used to be. You're not serving. You're not living. You get a little off, get a little off, get a little off. And the next thing you know, a temptation is there. A sin is there. The devil is right around the corner and something crops up in your life and you're not prepared and being careful and ready to defeat the devil with the Word of the Lord and you fall prey to sin in your life. Be careful. And the last one there I would simply say from verse number 10, I don't know, maybe, you, maybe two or three ways you can make this point. Hello McFly, right? Or as my dad would tell me when I was a kid, son, use your head. 
I'll say, I can hear my dad saying, son, use your head. Look at verse number 10. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Now, doesn't that just make sense? And how many people in this room, how many people in your life do you know have a dull spiritual axe and they keep hammering away and beating away and beating away and beating away instead of taking a pause out of their life coming to church and getting their axe sharpened? How many people do you know whose marriages are going down the tubes, but they're at the beach today? How many people do you know owe back taxes to the IRS? They have lies in their closet and pornography on their computer, but they're going to go to the doubleheader ball game. I just would simply say, wisdom, wise thinking leads to right living. Foolish thinking leads to bad living. Wise thinking says, use your head and the common sense that God gave you and get your axe sharpened. Talk with Jesus. Pray. Get in the Word. Get some counseling. Speak. Bring people into your life that can minister to you and not pull you away. I talk with people all the time and they're believers, but their life is going off the rails. And when I ask who they're hanging around and who they're with and who are the influences in their life, whether that be on the radio or through podcasts or through friends, very, very few say, you know what? I spend time weekly with another brother or sister who's asking me poignant questions about my walk with Jesus. All right? Verse number 12 through verse number 15. Listen, wise thinking or foolish thinking when it comes to leadership, when it comes to our everyday work life. And verse number 12 through verse number 15 hits us all right in the teeth. has to do with our words. Look at verse 12. Words from the mouth of a wise man or woman are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking, that is the fool, is folly, and the end of it is a wicked insanity or madness. Yet the fool multiplies words, and no man knows what will happen, and who can tell him that will come, uh, that will come after him. The toil of a fool uh, so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Well, let me just draw your attention in those three verses to a few things here when it comes to our word. First of all, did you notice there on the positive side, wise people speak words filled with grace. Amen? That would have been a good place to say amen. But wise people speak the words of grace. Now that's not all wise people speak. We need to speak words of truth. Words of honor. There are times when words need to be confrontational. There are times when our words uh, may cut to the heart of somebody, but we're being truthful. But they always need to be seasoned with grace. Now that hits us all right here. When you're talking to somebody, you need to have grace in your speech. Love and kindness and consideration and compassion. And you need to come alongside of that person even if it is in a corrective way or even if it's in a supportive and an encouraging way. All of our words need to be seasoned with grace. The wise person will have his speech seasoned with grace. What about the foolish person? Look what it says. 
The foolish person's words consume him. They're self-destructive. You know the best way? You know how you can tell foolish people? You know when you're talking to somebody, that person, that guy, you talk with somebody, and they just can't help but talk about themselves? Y'all ever met anybody like that? You might be somebody like that. I don't know. You know, you talk with somebody and everything, they're the hero of every story. Everything's about them. You can't get a word in edgewise. All they want to do is talk about themselves and what they've done and where they've been and what they know. That's self-destructive. That'll consume you. That's an arrogant way to live. You want to know how you know when you're starting to speak wisely? When you're able to listen to other people and ask them questions about their life and be genuinely interested in them. Not for what you can get from them, not for what you're about to say, but for who they are and what they are and what God has created them to be. And you're genuinely interested in them. Wise people speak words of grace. Foolish people speak about themselves all the time. And foolish people... Uh, for our children, better be careful. Foolish people do not know do not know when to stop speaking. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? Foolish people don't know when to close their trap. You ever met those kind of people? If you're the kind of person that does this, let me help you. If you're in a conversation and you find that when somebody else is speaking, you're continually doing this. You know, like you are looking for the nanosecond of opportunity to jump into the conversation and say what you want. You know that you're an arrogant person. Because what you're saying indirectly is that what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Wise people. Learn to just listen. And they know when to be quiet. Now doesn't that just hit us all right between the eyes? Right? Wise people know when to let things die. You don't always have to win the argument. You don't always have to have the last word. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, in your horizontal relationships, you'll find that that will minister to your life in wisdom if you won't always have to win the day and get the last word in and be on top of the argument if you'll just learn to be quiet and listen. Foolish people speak way too much. Here's the last point today. Verse kind of 16 down to the end. I simply would say we've looked at wisdom and foolishness when it comes to leadership, when it comes to workers, when it comes to our words. And then I would just simply maybe say these last verses, uh, what I would call real life, just real everyday life. Look what it says in verse 16. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, right, a youngster, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time the strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence to the rafter sag and through slackness the house leaks. 
Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer in everything. We'll deal with that in a second. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not uh, curse a rich man. For a little birdie, right? That's my translation. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound. The winged creature will make the matter known. Let me just point out a few things here. Verse 16 and verse 17. Here's really what he was saying. He's saying, look, your, your, your land is out of luck or your household is out of luck if the ruler is, you know, still acting like he's in college. Right? Still acting like we're just going to party it up. We're going to drink and get drunk even in the morning time. And we're going to do it every Friday night as long as we can. I mean, maybe for some of my, maybe, maybe some of my 80s folks in here, we're going to party like it's 1999, right? Can I just tell you something? The text is simply saying to you, stop acting like you're still in college. Grow up. Take life seriously. There's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoyment. Now, God is not some sort of you know, cosmic killjoy. God wants you to enjoy all of life, but He also wants you to get out of business and live a serious life devoted to Him, devoted to your family, devoted to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself to be 35 and sitting in your mama's basement in your pajamas trying to blog for a living, God help you. Man, I hope that didn't get anybody today. <laughs> If it did, deal with it. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I've got an Xbox 360 sitting in my, uh, sitting at home and it's collecting dust. Now look, I'm fine if you want to play video games. I enjoy a good video game to the glory of Jesus, but not every day all the time. Not in lieu of living for Jesus. Not in lieu of finding a job. Feel alone. Thank you for the single amen. <laughs> the point is simply this. Real life says, take life seriously. Real life says this. Look at what it says there. You see what he says? The rafters are shaky and the walls are leaking. You know why? Laziness. Hey, wise living says don't be lazy. And we all have to fight that. If you're in here and you don't think you have to fight that, something wrong with you. You do. And in fact, uh, let me just get this on the back end. So, it, you know, I mean, if I'm, in the pro if I'm in the process of making people upset, let me just get this one. If you say, I'm not lazy, I'm more of a workaholic. Workaholics are lazy. You know why? Because they would rather forget about their family and deal with their relationships and just go off to work somewhere and pretend it doesn't exist. All right, the crickets are coming out. Listen, don't... <laughs> Don't be lazy. Don't, don't, don't be lazy. Wise people aren't lazy. Okay? Wise people are balanced. Work hard. Enjoy your family. Minister to the things that are important. And then, um, simply I would say this. Um, let me deal with verse 19. Probably best to understand it this way. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry. My translation says, and money is the answer to everything. Here's what he's getting at. Now look, the New Testament simply says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So I, I think we understand here that it's not 